In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Grant, O Lord, to thy faithful people that they may undertake with fitting piety the venerable solemnities of fasting and complete them with steadfast devotion through Christ our Lord. This is the colic of today's Mass, the Mass of Ash Wednesday, which begins for us the Lenten season. As you know, every year we preach to you a sermon every day of Lent. We invite you to take part as much as you can, coming to daily Mass, coming every day if you can, if not at least making an effort to come one day a week in addition to Sunday, so that you can take part in what is truly a pilgrimage and a Lenten retreat. A sovereign pontiff of several centuries ago declared the observance of Lent is the very badge of Christian warfare. By it we prove ourselves not to be enemies of the cross of Christ. By it we avert the scourges of divine justice. By it we gain strength against the princes of darkness, for it shields us with heavenly help. Should mankind grow remiss in their observance of Lent, it would be a detriment to God's glory, a disgrace to the Catholic religion, and a danger to Christian souls. Never can it be doubted that such negligence would become the source of misery to the world, of public calamity, and of private woe. These are the words of Pope Benedict XIV, pronounced in 1741. They are often repeated as an exhortation to observe Lent devoutly. We do well to remember that these words occur in a document wherein the Pope is reluctantly granting a universal permission for the first time in the history of the Church. That is, despite many indults that had been given locally, which he is recognizing and now finding himself powerless to undo, the Pope is permitting, for the first time, meat to be eaten during Lent. Up until that time, the universal law of the Church, both in East and West, had always been clear. Meat and animal products were not to be eaten during Lent. Even on Sundays, which in the most ancient tradition have never been fast days, they were nevertheless during Lent days of abstinence. Abstinence from all animal products. In the very early church, in the times of antiquity, abstinence included also abstinence from wine as it was a gift given to man after the flood. And the idea was that in practicing this penance, we were to return as much as possible to the first times, to the times in the Garden of Eden, before man first transgressed by partaking of a fruit which it was forbidden for him to eat, and thus failing to abstain. We transport ourselves then 
to the current moment where the man who is reigning at this moment on the throne of Peter has exhorted us especially to fast today. He is asking us to fast especially because of the situation in war-torn Ukraine. As you heard only a couple days ago from the pulpit, we must not let up in our prayers for the conversion of Russia. Indeed, were it not for our knowledge of the wondrous promises of Our Lady of Fatima, we would be at a loss to understand just how important it is that this country of Russia is still figuring centrally in the news. As we approach 100 years since Our Lady appeared to Sister Lucy and told her that the time had come for the consecration of Russia to take place by the Holy Father. The Holy Father today is asking us to fast. Rather, he is reminding us that Ash Wednesday, at least, along with Good Friday, is still a day on which fasting and abstinence are required. They are the only two days left on the calendar. If we were to look simply at these two days, we would have to acknowledge that for a healthy, able-bodied person, to fast only on these two days would certainly not fulfill even the natural obligations of fasting. Surely then we are called upon to do more. And the Church herself acknowledges this by the fact that all the days of Lent are still acknowledged, they are still designated as days of penance, even though it is no longer specified exactly what penance you must undergo. Certainly for those who are able to fast on more than just Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, they should by all means do so. Although, as I often remind you, it is very good and salutary to submit your fast first to your confessor so that it is done in humility, as we will speak further on in a few moments. Looking again at the collect of today's Mass, which I read at the beginning, for this will be the theme of our Lenten sermons this year, the prayers of the Mass, the collect, the secret, post-communion, and other additional collects and such that are added to the Mass each day. The prayer today is that we may undertake with fitting piety the venerable solemnities of fasting and complete them with steadfast devotion. We find that the earliest fathers of the Church give abundant testimony to the fact that fasting was already being practiced since apostolic times, including most certainly this great Lenten fast. Nevertheless, they are very restrained in their words, always warning their flocks about the dangers of fasting in the wrong way. That is, fasting in a way that is not virtuous. Indeed, this we will hear in the very earliest days of Lent, when the prophet reveals to us the words of the Lord, Behold, in the day of your fast, your own will is found. St. Thomas explains to us that there can be many reasons for fasting. If, he says, we define fasting as simply not taking in food and drink, well then, that is simply 
a natural thing, and it is not in and of itself virtuous in any way. Simply the fact of not eating cannot already be a moral virtue. No, it must be practiced, it must be an act or a habit which aims at a true and honest good, that it is, must be directed by your reason for this purpose. What are those reasons, then, that would make fasting virtuous and not simply something natural that we would do for our health or, even worse, for our vanity in order to improve our figure? Or still worse, to, or even still worse, to do in the way of so many in the world today, for we know very well in our modern world that fasting and abstinence are widespread enough, but they are often done for even other reasons, such as animal rights or the environment. None of these things can possibly amount to moral virtue. No, St. Thomas tells us there are three ends to a virtuous fast. First, he says, in order to bridle the lusts of the flesh. Secondly, we have recourse to fasting in order that the mind may arise more freely to the contemplation of heavenly things. As it is related of Daniel that he received a revelation from God after fasting for three weeks. Thirdly, in order to satisfy for sins. Wherefore it is written, Be converted to me with all your heart, in fasting, in weeping, and in mourning. And thus the same is declared by St. Augustine in a sermon. Fasting cleanses the soul, raises the mind, subjects one's flesh to the spirit, renders the heart contrite and humble, scatters the clouds of concupiscence, quenches the fire of lust, kindles the true light of chastity. Fasting is always tied to the other works that we are called to practice in Lent, that is, almsgiving and prayer. Indeed, the way the fathers describe fasting, we are to fast so that by foregoing this great material good, which is the satisfaction of our bodies through good food and drink, we may be detached from them and grow more charitable and more generous. Indeed, the original idea was that by saving, by foregoing so much food during Lent, we would thereby be able to give that food to the poor. The idea remains, at least in spirit, that by being detached from the good of food and drink, we are enabled to perform the works of mercy, which are required of us especially during Lent. It is by then being detached from the material world and practicing great generosity that finally we can give ourselves to a fervent life of prayer during these 40 days. All of this then is intricately tied to the virtue of penance, the one that we are absolutely required to practice during the season. Our great patron, St. Francis de Sales, tells us in order that Christ's redemption may be applied to us, we must do penance. We must not deceive ourselves, for our forefathers have all passed by that way. Young and old, small and great, in short, all have washed their feet and their hands in the waters of penance. 
It is by this virtue of penance that we deplore the deeds of our sinful past and turn again to God. This season of Lent begins with the thought of our own impending end. A thought which should inspire in us a healthy fear of God. Not a servile fear, but the fear of a child toward a loving father whom he has offended. As the ashes are applied to us before the Mass, the following antiphon is chanted, Let us amend for the better in those things in which we have sinned through ignorance, lest suddenly overtaken by the day of death, we seek space for repentance and are not able to find it. What does it mean here, this word ignorance? Surely we cannot plead that. We cannot ask God for forgiveness simply on the basis that we didn't know our actions were wrong. What can be the true meaning of this prayer? Ignorance here must mean lack of consideration of two things. First, that our life will soon be over and we will have a terrible price to pay for our unrepented sins. This thought should occupy the whole first part of our Lenten journey when we hear our Lord in the midst, and indeed in the beginning today with the Sermon on the Mount, of his public ministry. The second thought, second consideration, which we must not neglect, occupies especially the last part of Lent, Passion Tide. Considering the most bitter passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has paid this price for our sins to save us, from eternal damnation. Our Lord exhorts to us today from the mount, be not as the hypocrites, be not sad when you fast, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Of course, the charge might come to us, then why are we disfiguring our faces and flaunting our penitential practices before men? Will we not be rightly accused of hypocrisy? Today, by receiving ashes, we are applying Christ's redemption to our lives. We have not disfigured our faces. We have taken ashes, the ancient symbol of penance, and marked our faces with the sign of our salvation. We are not trusting in ourselves or declaring our self-righteousness. We are placing our trust in the cross our only hope, and professing our faith before a world which has always seen that cross as a disgrace or as utter foolishness. We are sad, sad for our sins, but joyful in the space for true repentance. Today we are all called to be fools for Christ's sake. Count it your greatest glory if you are mocked today or any day of Lent because of your faith. Pray for those who do not yet understand. Freely admit your faults before others and ask forgiveness. Take up the great arms of penance. Abstain from food, from pleasure in what you eat, what you listen to, what you read and watch. But remember that your sanctification does not end there. As I reminded you only recently, And as our Lord will soon remind us again, it is not what comes into us that defiles us so much as what comes out. What comes out comes out from a sinful heart. 
So rend your hearts and not your garments. Let your fasting from food serve as a curb on a venomous tongue. Grant, O Lord, to thy faithful people that they may undertake with fitting piety the venerable solemnities of fasting and complete them with steadfast devotion. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.